Welcome to another edition of this VBM VBM podcast having to do with from Pesach to Tisha B'Av, from redemption to consolation. So this is week five. Last week we spoke about the ideal Jewish polity in terms of having a king. And along the way, I pointed out, and I made a mistake as I did it, that the Rambam says there are three commandments given to the Jewish people as a people. When they enter the land of Israel, the commandment to establish a king. Then he wrote to build the Beit HaMikdash, and then to wipe out Amalek. However, we in Halacha assume, and I'm quoting now from the Aruch HaShulchan Ha'atid, the Aruch HaShulchan attempted to do, so my teacher from Harvard from many years ago, Professor Isidore Twersky, he's called Twersky Zechach his memory should be a blessing, he used to point out that the Rambam did something that was unique, really, in Jewish history from the end of the Talmud, he wrote a book of Jewish law that covered the entirety of Jewish law. I believe that Prince Torsky said that nobody else has done that since. The Aruch HaShulchan attempted to do it, and time ran out on him before he managed to do it. I think there are pieces of it still in manuscript, but he didn't quite finish, but he came close. He attempted to write a law book, so he wrote an all of Shulchan Aruch, but Shulchan Aruch limits itself, the code of Jewish law limits itself to Allah that applies in our times in the absence of the Beit HaMikdash. The Aruch HaShulchan HaAtid was his further work codifying, so he took the Rambam as a bedrock, because the Rambam had already done it, and then he uh, gave a sense of how Halacha understood those issues since. So when he's talking about the laws of kings, that's one of the things that he has, he says, that we first, as a Jewish nation, wipe out Amalek, and then, now, don't stop listening now. I mean, I thank you for listening this far, but don't stop listening now because you don't want to get the wrong impression. We're talking about the mitzvah to wipe out Amalek. The Torah, we read it at least once a year. We talk about the obligation to wipe out Amalek, and it's wipe out everybody. And it's uh, in our in the moral tenor of our world, it seems like a problematic mitzvah, so don't go away. But granted we have this mitzvah, the Aruch HaShulchan says it's clear to him that this mitzvah, in fact, precedes the mitzvah to build the Beit HaMikdash. So we will next week talk about the mitzvah to build the Beit HaMikdash, and the reason why he thinks so, the reason what shows it to him is that when David HaMelech begins to consider building a Beit HaMikdash, it says that it's after, when he was settled, and God had helped him, you know, be, be have peace from all his enemies. So he says to Natan, I'm living in a nice house built of cedar wood, and God is in a tent, meaning the Aron is in a tent. So um, so it's from the fact that David had already done his, as much as he was going to be able to do, in terms of wiping out Amalek, but he had made sure to quell his enemies to the extent possible. The question is why, right? So the Arach HaShulchan says, I know why establishing a king comes first, because without a king, there is no nation. We spoke about that already last week. I'm not going to go into it again. But notice the idea. It's also probably true that the, and this is debate, actually, so I shouldn't say probably true. This is a matter of debate. But there are many sources that hold that are the opinion that so I was saying there's a debate about whether the obligation to white Amalek is an individual one or a communal national one. Let's assume it's a national one, although it's a complicated question, but that would explain why you need a king first. But the question is why, the Aruch HaShulchan asked the question, why would it be 
that you would have it first, right? Why would you be that you would have before the building of the Beit HaMikdash? And so the Aruch HaShulchan suggests, and I think this is a very plausible and very mainstream view, he says, the first step is, why is it that God called for wiping out Amalek? That's a very stringent standard. So, for example, the people of Ammon and Moab certainly didn't please God. God said we can never marry male converts from Ammon and Moab because in the time of the desert, they refused to give us uh, food and drink when we wanted it. Therefore, Jews, regular Jews can never marry converts from Ammon and Moab. But there was no thought to wipe them out. Right, so why, wiping out is a very serious thing. So he says that he thinks that because most times when a nation goes to war, this is something to think about for our times as well. He says when people go to war, they go to war for their own needs. And war is a part of the world. It may not be a great part of the world. So I'm recording this, and maybe by the time you listen to this, it'll be over. I'm recording this when Russia invaded Ukraine, and they had no provocation, and the world is up in arms about it. But at least it's true that Russia has goals, whatever those goals may be. But they're doing it. So I think they're, I think they're doing it because they're evil also. But at least they have the, uh, the veneer of being able to say they have needs, they have concerns. It matters to them. Right? That's the way war goes. So even when the Egyptians, the Aruch HaShulchan says, I'm not telling you my own thing, I'm just saying the Aruch HaShulchan says, even the Egyptians, when they made our lives miserable when we were in Egypt, their first intention, it may get out of control later, and later they may have done it because they became cruel, but their first intention was to save themselves or, or something about themselves. Now, we'll get to the Nazis later in our this conversation anyway, so I might as well bring them up now. I don't know what the Ahashokan would have said, whether that counted, because after all, they told themselves in their crazy Hitlerian Yamach Shemo worldview that Jews were a threat to them. I'm not sure what he would do with that. I know that we'll talk about later about those who talk about the Nazis having been Amalek, but the Egyptians at least had, I think the Torah presents them as having some plausible sense that there was some threat. But Amalek Right? So even if you don't believe that, or especially if you don't believe that, and you say, no, they were so terrible, the Rahashokan's point is that Amalek was worse. Because he says, now this is what he says, This is his claim. And you'll see the weakness, or think about the weakness. He's saying the Jews were in the desert. What's Amalek going to take from them? Right. So in other words, he thinks that Amalek has no, so he's assuming that the goal of war, I think he's assuming, the goal of war is land. And then that would that would help Russia, but maybe not help the Nazis, because the Jews had no land either. And that would be a reason to stick the Nazis in with Amalek in this issue, that if war is about gaining land for a country. Because I think he thinks that in terms of just gaining property, just gaining money and possessions, you don't go to war for those things or something like that. However it is, the Jews in the desert have no land yet, so what's he taking from now? We know the Jews left Israel, the Jews left Egypt, you know, flush. They took lots of gold and silver. We know that when we get to Israel, the, the two tribes, the God and Reuven, uh, Reuven God, right? Reuven God and half of the tribe of Menashe, they stay on the eastern side because they have so many flocks. So I could say, well, I think the Amalekites went to war with them because they thought they were going to spoil them with plunders. You get the spoils of war. They were going to plunder them. That's not the Archimedes' attitude. His point is, A, Amalek had no goal, and then he, and he says, and that's why the Torah refers to it as Asher Karcha Baderech. Right? Asher Karcha Baderech means that um, 
they were on the way, is the piece that the Hashulchan is picking up on. They were on the way. Klomar, loyta kavanato litol midinot. His, his point wasn't to take land from you. I think that's what he's focused on. He thinks the primary reason that nations go to war is for land and for territory, and the Jews had no territory in the desert, so they therefore couldn't have meant it for the real reasons of war or the usual reasons of war. Rather, Ella, the kol his whole purpose, this is what the Archashokan says because he has a very important Rashi to back him up. Their whole purpose was to weaken the force of the miracles of the exodus and of the splitting of the sea and therefore to reduce the belief in God, the power of the belief in God. And that's what karcha is, he says in the verse, right? Karcha really means whom they met up with you in the, in the desert. But the Archashokan is saying is to cool you off. Now, we're going to see in Rashi, Rashi cools the whole world off. From the belief in God, like Rashi says at the end of Bishalak. So what's the Rashi at the end of Bishalak that he means? So there's a Rashi at the end of Bishalak, there's a better Rashi in Devarim, however. So I'll, we'll learn both of those, and then we'll see what he's talking about. But before we get there, he's already made the following claim. The reason it's vital, or at the beginning step, there, I should say it this way. We're working our way towards figuring out why this has to precede the building of the Beit HaMikdash, precede the building of the Temple. To get there, he said, well, what's the reason why we have to wipe them out to begin with? And to wipe them out to begin with, his steps were so far that it's clear they didn't go to war for the usual reasons that nations go to war. Because nations go to war over land, and the Jews had no land. Therefore, or from the fact that that wasn't the real reason, we can then look at the Pesukim and realize the reason seems to have been to battle or deny or reduce the faith in God. Our HaShulchan seems to think they reduced the Jews' faith in God their, and, and the power the miracles had over them. And then he points us in the direction of Rashi. So let's look at two Rashis. The first Rashi is at, indeed at the end of Bishalak when the Amalekites, when Amalek attacks the Jewish people and Hashem says, to Moshe after the war, Hashem says to Moshe, Ki yad al ka, that Hashem has put his arm on his hand, as it was metaphorical hand on his seat, or to swear, and Rashi says, baruchu, God is taking an oath, shemo shalem. that's why it says, Ki yad al ka. so case is a short version of the word kisei, seat or throne, and ka, the yud, and then the other letter, the hey, that two-letter name is a name of God, but it's also half of the name we usually talk about. When we say Ado, when we say the name of God that starts with, we pronounce it not the usual way because we don't know the exact way to pronounce it. We say the Aleph Dalit at the beginning. That name is a Yud and the Hey, and then there's two more letters. There's another Vav and a Hey. So uh, Rashi says Hashem is swearing that his name won't be complete in this world and his throne won't be complete until Amalek is completely wiped out. When Amalek is completely wiped out, God will again be whole in the world. But why? What's the connection? Why is it that after that war? So the Arashokas and Rashi in Shmod, I think he might have meant the Rashi in Devarim. Because the Rashi in Devarim on the words, Asher Karcha Baderach, when, so Devarim at the end of Parshat Kitetse is the part of the Torah that we read as Parshat Zachar. Right? We read it once a year, we make a whole big stink about it, we make sure everybody hears it, right? So when we're reading that, the, the verse says, 
Remember what Amalek did to you. When you were leaving Egypt, Asher Karicha Baderech. That he, so Rashi says Karicha means Mikret. The plainest sense of it is that they happened upon you in the road. Then Rashi quotes another possibility that I'm not going to deal with now. And then Davar Acher Lashon Kor. It's a language of coldness. Sanancha. He cooled you all. From your boiling. What does that mean? Rashi explains. Shayu kol ha'umot yireim lihilachem. Nobody was going to fight the Jewish people. The Jews had just gained their independence from Egypt, which was either the most powerful or one of the most powerful nations on earth. They had gained their 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 freedom from them by God sending ten plagues, including Makat Becharot. They had left. The Egyptians had, cha- had a change of heart, chased after them, and the sea split. And the Jews walked through in dry land, and then the sea went back and destroyed the Egyptians who came after them. Rashi's picture is, and this is why I say that the Arach HaShokan focused on the Jews losing faith, but Rashi's picture is that the news of that spread well enough that nobody was going to attack the Jewish people. And he says, when Amalek attacked, it's true they lost, but the victory wasn't the point. When you see somebody do something, even if they lose at it, it gives you room to think, maybe I could do it better. Rashi says it's similar to an ambati. It's similar to a, a boiling hot bath. So when you have a hot bath, right? So it's boiling hot. This is what Rashi says. It's boiling hot. Nobody can touch it. So somebody comes and touches it, they get burned. It's true. But now people see that it's in the realm of touchability. So Rashi, I think, is really making a very crucial point that the Arach HaShulchan is going to make another crucial point, and then the Raman will make a further crucial point. So i got a lot of crucial points coming up, so hold on. I think that what Rashi's pointing out is that the way Jewish history... So I, I wrote a book about this once about Yitzhak Mitzrayim called as if, we, as if We Were There. But one of the things that I noticed over and over again was that in all of the ways that tradition, not all, but many of the ways that tradition reads the stories of the Torah, there were so many opportunities for it to have gone differently and better. I won't give other examples. Now let's focus on this example. Imagine if Amalek had never come. So the way that Chazal understand the story is that the Eser Makot, the Egyptians finally let the Jews leave. They leave, the Jews have a change of heart. Then you have Kriyat Yamsuf, right? You have the, 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 the splitting of the sea. And they come out, the Jews believe in God Moshe, Moshe Abdo, right? And nobody's willing to, to start up with the Jews because they know that God's on their side, that there's no chance. Had that continued, then there's every reason to think the Jews would have, they would have gone to Harsinai, they would have gotten the Torah. Maybe there would have been a Chere Egel, maybe not, who knows? If Amalek hadn't come, maybe they wouldn't have had any sense of anything going wrong. Maybe, I don't know, we can't, I can't weigh in on that. But from there, the Jews would have had a sense of invincibility because nobody's willing to attack them. Maybe the Malaglim wouldn't have been sent. The spies wouldn't have been sent. Maybe they wouldn't have ever spent the four, the 38 more years in the desert. They would have just gone into Israel and nobody would be willing to fight to them. Meaning the tradition is, for example, the Jews sent ahead to say, we'll make peace with you if you want to, as long as whatever the conditions are, the realm, and we'll talk about those conditions in a minute, but, but maybe they would have made peace or maybe they would have fled the Canaanite. Maybe the Jews would have just taken over Israel with basically the consent of everybody around. What would human history have looked like if that was the legacy? We'll never know because Amalek came along. And that's what Rashi's saying. 
Amalek took the role of hurting the narrative, or even, you know, of dampening, or even destroying the narrative. The narrative was no longer, oh, the Jews have a God who is the master of the universe, and is, uh, you know, un- unvanquishable, or cannot be defeated, or cannot be resisted. Instead, it became, the Jews have a very powerful God, but Amalek tried. We can do better than Amalek. We know those guys. So that's what Rashi says. So that seems to be, the Arachashokan accepts that Rashi, as the reason why Amalek earned their eternal opprobrium. They earn the idea that they need to they need to be destroyed. Right? They need to be destroyed. We'll talk about ways around that, God willing, in a few minutes. But they need to be destroyed because they stood in the way. They made themselves the nation that stands in the way of God's plan in the world. Now, continuing the Arach he says, and that's the reason why you're not going to build a Beit HaMikdash. Since they were anti-God, that's what they, the role they took to themselves, to be anti-God and to be anti-our view of the world, the Beit HaMikdash is going to be a place where God's presence is found in the world. The way the Arach HaShulchan says it is, Shezehu Mekor Kedushat Yisrael, it is going to be the source of the sanctity of the Jewish people, the Chizuk Toratinu HaKedushat, it's going to be the strengthening of our holy Torah, right? Until, so there's no way to have that, the idea is, until you've sort of gotten rid of, or now he says until they're completely wiped away. We never had that in history. But the point is that the obligation to deal with Amalek before we build the Beit HaMikdash is vital because Amalek is contradictory to the project of the Beit HaMikdash. Amalek, now the Aruch HaShulchan thinks it's about Amalek trying to do it to the Jewish people, because he says every generation they want to be Lahachnis, I'm sorry, he says, he thinks there's Amalek in every generation. We'll talk, let's, we'll talk about the Salavatrix in a second. To, to insert a lack of faith and heresy in the Jewish people. He implies, and the Salavatrix tradition has said it explicitly, he implies that Amalek maybe is not a biological identification. Now, he says it as a notesate, as a spark. So I'm not sure if he means they qualify as Amalek. But he says the spark of Amalek is found in anything. So in his time, he would not yet have known of the communists, let's say, the Slavagians talk about the communists. But in his time, let's say, if you think about the influences on German Jewry, that had gotten lots of German Jewry to abandon the religion. And that Enlightenment stuff was coming to Eastern Europe where the Yerachashukhan lived already. So he's saying all of that has an element of Amalek to it. Whatever it is that tries to advance a worldview in contradiction to the Torah worldview, that has an Amalek element to it. Now he doesn't say it as a lack matter. He says it in general, he says that, but that's why. So that, if that were true... It would imply that God willing soon, if we accepted that idea, it would imply that God willing soon we have a rejuvenated Jewish nation, as I'm trying to talk about here, as we go from Pesach to Tisha B'Av, trying to find our way to consolation, and let's say we get a Jewish king back, it would imply that maybe the Jewish king would be uh, well advised, maybe halakhically well advised, not to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash until those forces have been removed from the world. Now, as I said, in the first Beit HaMikdash, so David had not quite successfully destroyed Amalek. Shoal did a great job on Amalek, but unfortunately left their king around. And then David had spent a lot of time before he became king uh, attacking and killing many groups of Amalek. But the job wasn't finished. Then in the second Beit HaMikdash, 
there wasn't anybody clearly that you could attack and kill. First of all, they never really got a full Jewish kingship back because they were under the first, they were under the Persians and then later under the, 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 the Syrian Greeks and then under the Romans. So they never had the opportunity. But it seems like the Rafa might think that God willing soon we get back a, a king, we'll need to wipe out Amalek. And by that, he seems to mean not just the biological nation. Now, I don't know that he meant that. He speaks about sparks, but the tradition is that I've heard is that Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, in the name of his father and grandfather, Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik and Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik of Brisk, said that they held that the Nazis, so Rabbi Chaim never knew the Nazis, but that the, the Rav held, Rabbi Soloveitchik held, the Nazis and the communists of Russia qualified as Amalek. And he said that because he said any nation that puts itself in opposition to the Jews counts as Amalek. Now, and, and, and he meant it not biologically, he meant it ideologically. Now, some I've met people who love that idea because they love the idea that it's not biological. Okay, and we'll talk a second about the ramification of what that would be today. But I think they lose sight of the fact that if we take that idea seriously, and I want to do is I, one of my Rebbeim, I don't know if he wants to be named, but one of my Rebbeim was a student of the Rav, Rabbi Salavich. He said he thought the Rav meant it literally. I said he meant, or I said something like the Rav meant it, you know, homiletically. He meant it like in a drasha. He said, no, you think the Rav, and now if that's true, that would mean that the, if there were to be a Jewish polity with a king, as far as Allah is concerned, we have to wipe out Amalek. We'll talk about the Rambam and the, Rambam and the Rambam in a second, but we have to wipe out Amalek. So that would be, maybe it's true or not true, but it would be daunting, because then that would mean that the war against the Nazis would have had to continue, not until we won, but until we had wiped out any Nazi there was. That's a, and, and that means men, women, and children. That's a that's a kind of a war that we today sort of recoil from. And the true extent was the communists, right? The communists, Rabbi Salavich would speak about because the communists were anti-religion. The communists believed in, in, in introducing a world where there was no religion, and that puts them, and they were very much, in direct opposition to Jews and the Jewish religion. That would be a problem. But that would then mean, if that was right, I think it would have some element of, that it could be that it's only if it's religious. So if you talk about those Arab nations, or let's say just if you think about Hamas and Hezbollah, you could say that maybe they don't count as Amalek because they're not opposed to Judaism as religion, they're opposed to the Jews in a political sense, and maybe that spares them the quality of Amalek. But you have this idea out there. So again, I said, people love to say, oh, bad people of a certain kind, or if you're anti-Torah, if you're trying to fight against Torah, you're Amalek. So if you want to say that, I'm not saying yes or no, I'm saying just think about the ramifications. It means that anybody who joins that group, and we, in our times, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, I've seen people join groups that I would have thought they would never have joined and become dedicated to those ideologies. It would mean that, God forbid, if anybody joined an ideology that was anti-Torah, and there are lots of those out there, I'm not naming names, but Nazis and communists are the ones that the Rabbi Salavitch used to speak about, they would become a Malik. And that would mean that we as a nation would have to treat them as Amalek. So what does that mean to treat them as Amalek? So the Rambam in the laws of Hilchos Balachim in 5, 5, chapter 5, Alakha 5, and then in chapter 6, the beginning, we'll get to it in a second, says very important things about it. The mitzvah of wiping out Amalek is to wipe out their memory. Right? That's what the verse says. And this is an obligation. And then the Rambam says it's an obligation to remember always. And I always notice this Rambam because... People go to Zohar every year, right? Zohar is the reading of, of Parshat Zohar. is one of these popular mitzvot. You have extra readings. Everybody makes sure to come. Women make sure to come, even though there's a debate about whether women are actually obligated. Everybody makes sure to come. We have multiple readings. 
The Rambam says the point of those readings is the mitzvah is to remember what Amalek did. The Rambam says, now reading Rambam, to maintain and sustain our hatred for them. Right? It's that we have to remember that these are people who we are deeply opposed to because of who they are. So the Ram doesn't say who they are in the sense of the Rashi. I think the Ram will probably agree with the Rashi and the Rashi that we've said. The Ram doesn't say that explicitly. But whatever it is about Amalek that made Hashem decide we had to wipe them out, the Ram says not only do we have to wipe them out, we have to have those emotions alive for us even in the generation where there's no possibility yet of wiping them out. That's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to remember that. So I wonder how many of us remember when we're listening to the parsha. remember that that says, yes, if I had a Jewish king at the best, if I had a Jewish king, meaning some people think it's an individual mitzvah, if I met up, I think the Ram does, if I met up with an individual from Amalek, but even if it's not that, but the idea that if I had a king and Amalek came to my came to hand, yep, I'd be ready to wipe them out because I remember they did something terrible. So that sense, especially we follow Rabbi Salavitch's idea that being an anti-Torah nation, anti-Torah group, makes you Amalek, do I hate those people enough that I understand that barring any change in them, I have to wipe them out? That's a, that's a task. So the Rambam eases that task a little bit in the next chapter of Hilchah Malachim. Because the Rambam holds that any time the Jewish people go to war, even if it's a war that God commanded, before the Jewish people go to war, they send the possibility of peace. And they say to them, you've got three choices. You can. So Bakarata Ilah Shalom means either they can agree to step one, accept the Noahide laws. Now, accept the Noahide laws means pretty much our version of them, and that has things so there are Noahide laws that non-Jews today don't accept. So it's not like it's so simple, especially if we define something, let's say, as a worship of a power other than God, and they think that it's fine, right? So I think there are many versions of, not all, but many versions of Buddhism and Hinduism that are Avodazara, so that are idolatry. So imagine we came to a city that's majority, you know, Hindus, and we said, okay, we want to make peace with you, but first step is you have to accept the Noahide laws. They say, what's the Noahide laws? They say, you can't worship any power other than God. They say, we have seven gods. We say, sorry, you can't do that. It's a challenge. So these are challenging things. I'm not saying that it's easy. But the Ram says, if they're willing to accept the Noahide laws, and then we don't have to kill any of them, as long as they also agree, now, because this is what the verses of the Torah say, to be lamas the avaducha. They have to agree to pay taxes. So taxes is not so hard, right? But also they have to agree to physical service to the Jewish people as we ask for it. So the Jewish is, for example, that Shlomo Amelech, when he was building the Beit HaMikdash, used people who were, who were these kinds of people and therefore were paying their, their dues. And if they say, you know what, we'll just pay you the money, we don't accept it. If they say, we won't pay money, but we'll be, do physical service, we don't accept it, we have to do both. Right? And the Rebbe writes, and I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying this is so easy to do, but the Rebbe writes, Ushayu nivzim ushfelim. We have to understand that they are subordinate to the Jewish people. Now, for example, the Palestinians in Israel are not um, Shiva are not the Shiva Amin. They're not of the seven nations, right? But the Rambam seems to think that when we had a, if we had a really Jewish polity, they would have to agree that they're not. We today have. I'm sorry, I didn't mean the Palestinians. Even, I meant even the Arabs. We think that the Arabs. So they, if they become Gary Tosha, that would be a whole different thing. But we think that if we conquered them, that would be more like the Palestinians. They'd have to accept servitude, which they obviously have not yet done. But that's what we're talking about. 
right? And it's got to be that they don't do anything against the Jewish people ever, right? So again, terrorist attacks is that that would be off the table, right? So that's where the Ram has it for what we do before we go to war with them, or they can run away, they can just flee, and we're always even when we're going to war against them, the halakha and the Torah is you have to leave them away to flee to flee if they want to. One path has to be open for them to run away, or we can go to war. That's the war. That's war with people who were not obligated to wipe out by Torah law. But there were two groups that Hashem said we were obligated to wipe out. There were the seven nations who were inhabiting Canaan when we came to Israel, and there was the Amalekites. So there, the Ram says, and if they don't uh, make peace, we have to wipe them out. The, the other nations, any other nation, they don't make peace, we kill the men, but we can take other things another time. But here, we seem to have to wipe that out of them. So, but then the Ram says, but you know, the Torah never mentions that we can make peace with the seven nations or with Amalek. So he says, what makes me think that we have the right to make peace with them if they're willing to accept the seven mitzvahs of Noah and uh, Mas and Shibur and paying tribute and being physical servitude? He says, because the Torah, the Navi comments after the Jews conquered um, them, that it says, that there was no nation that 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 there was no city that made that made peace with the Jewish people. So the Rambam says, from the fact that the, the just check, I think it's the Navi, from the fact that the Navi comments pauses to comment that there was no city. So pausing in Yehoshua Yud Aleph Yud Tet, that there was no city that made peace with the Jewish people. That comment implies that it had been a possibility. So, how could it be a possibility, the Ram says? The possibility was, if they accept... So, interesting to me is that the Ram thinks that about the people of Amalek as well. And it fits very nicely what we said until now. Because if what Amalek did wrong was that they stood against the Jewish people and against the idea of the Torah world, if they accept the Noahide laws and they accept subservience to the Jewish people, that will explain why they would be allowed to to continue living. So I'm not saying that it's easy for them to do it, they would be happy about doing it, but it's a something, right? The Ravid says he doesn't think it's true, he disagrees, he thinks it's all a mistake, but he does think that if they convert to Judaism, they can stay alive. So even the Ravid, who's saying that no, there's no possibility of peace with them as Amalek, doesn't even have to wipe them out. There's a famous story that I barely have time for about uh, that in the 60s, a former SS guard, wanted to convert to Judaism, and a rabbi asked, I forget who, there was some rabbi in Israel at the time, was like the head of conversion, and the rabbi asked him, can he? And the answer was, if he, if you have reason to believe that he's a sincere convert, then yes, you can. So here we see that Amalek is a complicated thing. It's what the Jewish nation must do before they build a Beit HaMikdash, because according to the HaShulchan, it comes before that, because it doesn't make sense to build a source of God's presence in the world when there are deniers of it right in the Jewish uh, in the Jewish area of the world. So we have to wipe them out first, but wiping them out means wiping them out in terms of their standing by their ideologies and their views. If we're, we're able to separate them from that and able to get them to agree to join us in our picture of the world and our presentation of the world, so then God willing, we can live in peace and also get a Mikdash, the topic of our discussion next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been the VBM's presentation of From Pesach to Shabbat, From Redemption to Consolation. Thanks for joining. I'll see you next week.